0: May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. When did you last experience the holy? Think back to this past week, last month or year. Were you in the middle of a deep conversation, listening to some gorgeous piece of music out in the forest or at the seashore? Perhaps you were in prayer or here at church. When have you experienced the holy, and what did you do? My reaction whenever I experience the holy or the mysterious is to lie down. The first time I drove through New Mexico and saw the desert stretch out around me, mesas rising in the distance, a perfectly blue sky overhead, I longed to just pull the car over to the side of the road, get out, walk out into the desert, and lie down pressing my back against the earth, the glorious earth that God has made. And this past Christmas Eve, if you were lucky enough to be here, you heard the choir do this incredible thing with the psalm, a thing I'd never heard before, humming underneath the various verses, men and women alternating in this otherworldly way, and I wanted to just stop mass, get up from my chair, lie down behind that altar, and let the music wash over me. I didn't do that, by the way. And just this past week, I was in my office as the choir was rehearsing, and they began the anthem, Ubi Caritas, And it was so meltingly beautiful that I imagined walking upstairs to the parish hall and asking if I could lie down in the middle of their circle so that I could just be surrounded by the voices of angels. You see, that's my response to the holy. Lie down. Let it wash over me. Be still and in the middle of it, consumed by it, holding on to it for as long as I can. When Peter, John, and James joined Jesus at the top of Mount Tabor to pray, They see Jesus transfigured, his face shining like the sun, his clothes dazzling white, the prophets Moses and Elijah in their glory, talking to Jesus about his impending crucifixion. In the midst of the holy, of seeing Jesus in his glory, I certainly can't blame Peter and the others for wanting to remain there. For who of us does not want to prolong the glory of holiness. Now I will tell you it's become something of a fashion in preaching to ding Peter for his desire to build dwellings on the mountaintop to find a way to stay there with Jesus, Moses and Elijah but you won't hear that from me. After all this world is all too eager to drag us into the daily to grind us down in the muck. Even we ourselves often lean out of, away from the holy because it's too raw. We try to make it understandable. We try to explain it away through reserved academic analysis or by criticizing sentimentalism. But I think that we've got to hang on to the holy We've got to lean into our experiences of God, of things shining and dazzling. We've got to let them suffuse us so we won't forget them when the world seems to grow dim again. Jesus leads his disciples to the mountaintop for prayer, allows them to see him transformed, transfigured, A cloud surrounds them and God makes clear, this is my son, listen to him. And then the cloud disappears and Elijah and Moses are gone and Jesus is alone and they all kept silent, silent after the transfiguring experience of holiness. And then after that, Jesus leads them back down into the valley After that, they are met by a crowd, a desperate father begging Jesus to care for, to heal his son beset by demons, which Jesus' disciples were unable to do. Even as Jesus is coming to help him, the demon dashes the boy to the ground, but Jesus rebukes that spirit, heals the boy, and all are astounded at the greatness of God, another holy moment. You see, Jesus is revealed as holy on the mountain in prayer with prophets, the prediction of his crucifixion, the words of his father, and he is revealed as holy in the valley, surrounded by sweaty crowds, a frightened father, faithless disciples, a sick little boy. Who Jesus is on the mountain holy, messiah, shining, healer is who he is in the valley. In both places, he is transformed and transforming. We know him as the shining one, as the healer. One of the great spirits of the 20th century Trappist monk, Thomas Merton, who spent much of his time cloistered in silence and in prayer, respected worldwide as a master of the holy, had this experience when he was out running errands for the monastery. He writes, In Louisville, at the corner of Fourth and Walnut, in the center of the shopping district, I was suddenly overwhelmed with the realization that I loved all those people, that they were mine and I theirs, that we could not be alien to one another even though we were total strangers. It was like waking from a dream of separateness, of self-isolation in a special world, the world of renunciation and supposed holiness. This sense of liberation from an illusory difference was such a relief and such a joy to me that I almost laughed out loud. I have the immense joy of being a man, a member of a race in which God himself became incarnate. As if the sorrows and stupidities of the human condition could overwhelm me, now I realize what we all are and if only everybody could realize this, but it cannot be explained. There is no way of telling people that they are all walking around shining like the sun. It was as if I suddenly saw the secret beauty of their hearts, the depth of their hearts where neither sin nor desire nor self-knowledge can reach the core of their reality, the person that each one is in God's eyes. If only they could all see themselves as they really are. If only we could see each other that way all the time. They were all shining like the sun," he writes. In that blazing holy moment, Merton realized that the holy did not only reside apart in the monastery in quiet or ecstatic moments of prayer and in worship, but that the holy was to be found everywhere in the thick of the city, united to all the mass of humanity, all of us, imperfect and sick, beautiful and healthy, sinful and weary. What a revelation. But I can't help but wonder if Merton was able to have that epiphany, that moment of transfiguration, because he had been dwelling in and with the Holy for the past two decades of his life. He had lived on the mountaintop at the Abbey of Gethsemane, and I wonder, in his being fed and filled by the Holy all those years, if that allowed him to go down into the valley of the city and then recognize the Holy there too. You see, friends, I think we must stay with the holy. We must lie down in its presence, luxuriate in it, hold on to the holy for it is what strengthens us to be in the world, the world where there is pain and fear and great sadness, a world that is broken, yes, but holy too. Hold on to the holy, beloved. Hold on to it. Let it suffuse you and then let it lead you out, out into the world, to others, out to heal, out to love, out to forgive, to feed, to comfort. Take the holy with you from the mountaintop so that you can see it also in the valley where people are walking around, you are walking around, shining like the sun, Amen.